everyone, and welcome to The Build Podcast. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner here at OpenView. For those of you not familiar, OpenView is a venture capital firm. We're based in Boston, and we invest exclusively in B2B expansion stage software companies. In this season of Build, I've been interviewing different leaders from top SaaS companies about the first 100 days pertaining to a major change or pivot within their organization. At the end of this episode, I'm going to introduce Kyle Poyer, who is the Senior Director of Market Strategy, and he's going to be giving you the inside scoop on season two of Build. So today I have John Russo, who is the founder and CMO of B2B Fusion, and a little bit of information on John. He's a three-time global SaaS CMO, and he has uh, worked for both public and private companies in this capacity. He's had over 100 ABM, account-based marketing deployments, across different teams, different industries, but largely software. And um, he ultimately runs the account-based marketing Engageo user group for the East Coast, best practices for ABM. And he's going to be presenting this topic at the upcoming Marketo Summit. He just actually presented at the B2B Exchange Conference in Arizona next week. So certainly a top industry leader on the topic of account-based marketing. Thank you so much for joining us here today, John. Devin, I appreciate the invite and I'm excited to talk about ABM. Absolutely. So John, you've worked with hundreds of companies on implementing ABM or account-based marketing strategies. And as you know, this podcast is all about the first 100 days. And given that so many people and teams and companies Certainly companies in OpenView's portfolio are trying to effectively implement this type of strategy. We would love it if you could share with us some best practices for the 50 days leading up to this type of rollout. And then, you know, once you've got this thing up and running, the 50 days after, you know, common trends that you've seen and things that you've seen companies maybe perhaps make mistakes doing and companies that have been ultra successful, you know, what they've done. So absolutely. before, before we jump in... Account-based marketing, what is it, where did it come from, and why is everyone so, quite frankly, obsessed with this topic right now? Yeah, it's a terrific question, and, uh, you know, drawing across what we've seen industry-wise here, to sum it up in four words, I'd call it reach, scale, relevance, and engagement. ABM has been around for 20 or 30 years, but quite frankly, with the huge number of marketing technology companies that have emerged over the last, say, six to seven years. We're now over 5,000 MarTech companies. There are a number of companies that enable an ABM strategy and an omnipresent and omni-tailored marketing channel approach that didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. So even though it's been an old concept that ITSMA originally came up with 20 to 30 years ago, It's something that, quite frankly, has had a new set of legs in life because of the MarTech environment. And that's why I think you see a lot of companies now that are very, very interested in getting an ABM strategy. Got it. So you've obviously done many, many rollouts, but for the sake of today's session, we'd love to to pick one. And you don't have to name the client because I know people, you know, like to remain anonymous, but let's pick that client that rolled out this type of account-based marketing strategy and it was a huge success. And I'm sure there were some interesting lessons learned along the way. Can you describe the state of the business when they initially had had signed up to to work with you and really kind of dig in in this area? Yeah, I'm thinking about your portfolio companies and kind of the intersection between your portfolio and our SaaS client base. One comes to mind where they were trying to grow faster through net new named accounts. A SaaS-based company, somewhere in the $25 to $50 million revenue range, recurring revenue, 
they were really looking to improve their conversion odds over the traditional marketing tactics. But interestingly enough, like a lot of the companies that we get involved with, they are pretty smart and they know how to get things done from an ABM perspective. The however is they actually had a failed an internal initiative trying to get ABM working. Mm-hmm. And they realized that it would be uh, prudent to get some external help to go faster, take advantage of best practices, rather than kind of learning the hard way yet again on kind of their failed implementation. So through that, we were able to accelerate pretty aggressively. But yeah, that this one particular SaaS company was a situation where they had probably, I'd say, between 20 and 30 BDR, SDR, AEs, and then they had an additional 10 marketers. So pretty heavy sales and marketing investment. And they were really trying to amp up their conversion overall with those people. Was it a horizontal play or a vertical play, just so we can imagine this customer? Yeah, it was more of their ideal customer profile was more vertical. So they were going after financial institutions in particular, high tech companies and other SaaS companies as well with their particular platform. Mm -hmm. And you said that they tried to do it on their own, but it was kind of a failed internal implementation. Why, Why do you think it failed first time around for them? Yeah, you know, and this is something that we we see across the board, and it really is because of the nature of ABM. It is somewhat transformational, and it spans both sales and marketing. And usually, in this particular case, why it failed was sales had their interest, marketing had their interest. Sales wanted the, the deal of the day, wanted to kind of close that revenue right now. Marketing was all about their attribution. How could I get credit? What was missing was kind of looking at the big picture of how does the revenue look overall Mm -hmm. and what is the agreed upon definition of an account and then what's that treatment from a sales and marketing viewpoint. So from an outside party looking in, what we were able to do is really facilitate kind of those silos that failed previously. And that's a pretty common occurrence because when you think about it, and you've been in an operating role before, you're really most concerned about your own function as opposed to the good of the organization's function. And that's why I think they ran into that particular issue. Mm, Really interesting point. So you, in your experience, the teams that have the best in sales and marketing alignment tend to be more successful at this type of rollout. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it goes pretty deep too. It's more than just kind of the, saying that you've got to be aligned, it gets down right to the actual message and message creations, both on sales and marketing, depending on where the SDR or BDR function is owned. I think through your own research, about 50% of organizations, that function reports up into marketing. Obviously, the other half reports into sales. But, you know, that's an interesting dynamic, too, because they're kind of the glue here. They're the and between sales and marketing and really the execution arm of that ABM strategy. So, so yes. So 50 days prior for, for this business that you started working with, what were they doing to prepare? Can you describe the state of that organization and, and you know, the pieces that were starting to come into place? Yeah, the pieces that were in place, like many companies, they had basic technology that was already in place. So they had Marketo, and I think a large percentage of your client base has Marketo or your portfolio base has Marketo. They had an ABM platform, Engageo. They had a sales cadence tool, Outreach. 
And of course, they're using Salesforce.com at the core. So, you know, prior they had a lot of infrastructure in place. The missing part was really the data mm-hmm. and kind of the account selection process, as well as the contacts to support those accounts. And we can get into that in a little bit later, but they, they were in some stage or they've assembled some information there, but it wasn't quite complete. So they had a lot of that together. And then they had kind of the history of what didn't work. So in the case of the actual cadences of, you know, we've all gotten those emails of, have you been eaten by an alligator? Those were really cute, you know, five years ago, but now they've kind of run its course. So they've, they had a lot of experiences that they could bring to the table to say, this is what doesn't work. We need to figure out what does work. Got it. And so for you and your team and, and jumping in, where did you where did you really spend the most time? If you think about that that fifty days prior, and I know you know we're we're trying to talk about hundred days, and I broke it down fifty yep. fifty. But realistically, what was that time frame that you started working with that team before this thing was officially up and running and you know effectively working? Yeah, that's a terrific question. I'd say probably somewhere between sixty and ninety days before it became operational. And what we basically did was we went in and we baselined their performance around three things. We looked at the conversion process overall, the data structure overall, and then how their systems were set up once we understood the business process. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that point, we were able to get a very tactical roadmap, a 30, 60, 90 day plan that talked about kind of work streams in and around data programs, processes, organizational readiness systems and future system purchases that they should, you know, consider as part of that. So it was kind of a a two-step process, that 60 to 90 day kind of baseline assessment. And then once we got that assessment, it was then the execution of that assessment. Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about the the moving pieces of the, the execution, particularly in those weeks leading up. What were you, what were you doing and what were you encouraging them to do? Yeah, a really, really great question. And this is where the devil is in the details. And a lot of other, we find a lot of other enterprises miss this completely. We got involved actually at the project plan level. Mm -hmm. So in this particular case, beyond once they identified their ideal customer profile with our help, and once we targeted which accounts that they wanted to go after, we then got into a very detailed 30, 60, 90 day project plan in and around who they would go after, what the KPIs would be of that process, some preliminary work of kind of the system changes that they had to make to execute on that, and then kind of the the reach and touch cadence of the XDRs. So that was kind of the the very next piece of it and laying that all out in a 30, 60, 90 day template so they could then execute on that. So you described the, the size of the sales organization. How many target accounts did you kind of narrow that list down to? Ooh, super good question. <laughs> Your mileage can vary pretty significantly. We started off with a pilot, like a proof of concept, before you go too deep on a whole ABM strategy. Uh, it may be worth testing first to make sure that it works. In that particular case, what we did was we took a series of stage zero opportunities that had not had any recent engagement and prioritized those as kind of a trial. The number could vary. It was anywhere from five to 20 accounts per rep. And it was really a function of a bunch of different variables, but to net it out, it it was five to 20. And that five to 20 was fluid in that 
we could move people in and out of that five to 20 to make sure that the FDRs or AEs were always kind of occupied or engaged. Mm -hmm. The key thing though was at the end of the process on those five to 20 was to go back and measure the performance from a KPI perspective. So Mm -hmm. the, the number is less important. What's more important is the KPIs and have they actually changed during that process. So for this team that you were working with in this instance, were they, I mean, this, this account-based marketing strategy was something that the business deemed as being most important and something that everyone was aligned and rallying against. Were they also sort of on the side dealing with inbound leads that were coming in and not, not necessarily from their account-based marketing strategy, but more just, okay, this is an inbound lead, we got to take this and run with this? Or was it really kind of, okay, this is all we're going to focus on? Can you describe that dynamic? Yeah, and that, that, um, that's a terrific question. Uh, in this particular case, we definitely get the lights on with inbound. So it goes back to that pilot concept for a lot of these companies getting into an ABM strategy may be a new thought or a new thought process. So mm-hmm. kind of keeping the plane flying with the engines, meaning inbound or even the traditional outbound, we didn't turn lights down on that completely. But over a period of time, we transformed into more of a targeted-based approach with our outbound outreach. But the inbound still continued to come in. At the same time, we found mechanisms to identify that if somebody came in inbound that were part of that target account, they would be identified and flagged in a way that they hadn't been flagged before. That would probably be the only difference on the inbound front kind of in the first 90 days or so that we would suggest or, or implement as part of that particular client engagement. Mm-hmm. And you said it was sort of like they were piloting this, so they were seeing if it could work. What percentage of their time was focused on the account-based marketing strategy versus you know, everything else and dealing with the inbound leads, et cetera? If you could kind of, I mean, you might not have the exact number, but if you could ballpark right. it. Right. Uh, you know, it's a, a great question. And I would say that the majority of time, like 90% plus, Mm-hmm. was focused on ABM, mainly because it had so much organizational traction. It was the head of sales, the CMO, the CEO, even the board got involved with this particular client. So in their ABM strategy, that's how mm-hmm. deeply it went. So, you know, if a board member wow. is asking questions about it, it's serious stuff. So yeah, that I would say definitely the majority of their time on the sales front was focused ABM wise. And do you think that's, that's a healthy thing? I mean, if you're going to take, if you're going to do this and do it right, you have to be spending that significant amount of your time really kind of making it a priority or is that just dependent on the business? I mean, giving sort of, yeah, it's a thoughtful question. I think the latter, your mileage is really going to depend on your situation. We've seen, and you know, because we've been all operators before, we're very, very sensitive to kind of how culturally people or organizations run. In some cases, we've seen organizations, they just want to dabble at it and see if it works. And if it works, they invest more. In other cases, the other extreme, which I mentioned with the board involvement, they go full throttle and they're all in. So it really, really depends on kind of your growth objectives, the maturity of your systems, the number of people and the types of people that you have. There's so many variables. It can be pretty, pretty mind boggling. So I'd say it varies. And I think just to give more context to our audience too, because, you know, John, it's funny. I think everyone is talking about account-based marketing, particularly those startups that we're engaging with from an investment standpoint. If they've got an enterprise sales model, it's like 
they're throwing around the buzzwords, account-based marketing and, you know, elephant hunting and blah, 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 blah. But I genuinely not, I'm not sure if they really truly grasp what it means. And so I would love if you could even describe for me in a, a scenario for this client in particular, you know, when they were targeting one of their top accounts, what did that look like for that one account? What did that journey look like? What were the different touch points? Like what was happening with that account? Yeah, and I would agree with you too, uh, in terms of your observation. I think a lot of people are very casually kind of using the word or they're buying the technology and saying mm-hmm. that they've got ABM as a box. strategy. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's I, I call it the gym membership syndrome. They buy the gym membership thinking that they're going to get in great physical shape and get in great revenue shape. And lo and behold, the gym membership doesn't get you in shape. It's the underlying business processes that really do have to be in place from an ABM perspective. You have to put in the work with a personal trainer like us or, or others to accelerate your progress. Otherwise, you're just going to have a gym membership. Mm-hmm. But anyway, to answer your question, I haven't answered your question about kind of the ABM, kind of what was their touch points, I think was your question yeah. of uh, yeah, what, what did account, that look like? like what, and, was, what was the experience for that, the possible individuals from that company or within that account? What were the different ways yeah, they so in, the messaging? Just one scenario, just so people truly yeah. understand the, the magnitude of it. So we took an omni-touch approach to an omni-channel marketing approach and sales approach for, in this case, we were targeting a couple different people in enterprises. And when I say enterprises, typically companies, employee band range, there were two ICPs. There was one from 100 to 500 employees, and then there was the Fortune 500. But in both cases, they were targeting a very technical buyer. Mm -hmm. So it was a head of development, a VP of development, or a business leader who had access to development resources. So in their particular case, what we looked at doing was doing a seven or eight touch cadence that integrated both the outreach capability, direct mail capability, also integrated kind of the banner ads that you've seen, let's say, for example, like a Terminus, where you can target by account using all of those and phone with very tight messaging around a value add communication flow. It wasn't just, hey, I'm checking in or, hey, did you get eaten by an alligator? It was presenting value in kind of a stream and a work stream and a cadence. When we did get engagement, you know, it would go through the normal sales process. When we didn't get engagement, it would then be dropped into a longer term nurture, just kind of keep in touch uh, Mm -hmm. type element. And so by doing all of that, the other thing we did was we personalized the web, the web approach. Mm. So personalized meaning personalized URL. So if somebody came in on a particular drop that we had, we knew that who they were and what they were most interested in. So it was really doing kind of all the fundamentals of marketing automation really, really well. That was the, you know, kind of the, the suite of it. Behind the scenes, we also use something called intent data, which I don't know if you're familiar with Bombora or Big Willow or a couple others that are out there, but we also were able to see which accounts within the target market were the most likely candidates to go after. And that really helped prioritize our outbound efforts overall, as opposed to focusing on the great unwashed. We focused on a very tight targeted environment where companies were searching the Uber web 
for products and services that were related to their particular product line. That was really, really helpful to help prioritize the salespeople's time to then focus externally. And was there research behind the scenes too? So given that it was such a, a, you know, a, a small and select group of accounts, were there insights that the sales and marketing team were both researching and making each other aware of that could be used with the messaging? Can you speak to, to that at all? You know, it's funny you mention that. So that actually was a hole that we identified as part of their sales and marketing process was kind of the account level research. Mm-hmm. So we built a process where they could capture the right account intelligence mm-hmm. for their targeted accounts beyond just, you know, URLs or current research. And we embedded it within their system. So within salesforce.com, you're able to see account, real-time account intelligence, but it was not a function that was previously defined. Mm. And so we had to convince them that from a sales perspective, the productivity actually improved of the salesperson of having that kind of research done rather than the salesperson spending their time going out and doing that level of research. Mm. That was about the extent of the research side of things. And what were the most important sort of nuggets that were captured in, in research to, to help? Good question. I, I don't know if I remember the specifics, but I think it was a lot around the type of account, the competitive landscape of both the technology investments that they've had, as well as kind of the competitive landscape overall. So they knew, you know, relatively what other companies would fit in that same type of environment. Mm-hmm. They did talk a little bit about the buying structure as well. So who doing some LinkedIn research, who are the key contacts within the account? Do they have any LinkedIn group membership into key groups that were relevant to this particular buying cycle? I think those were the, the ones off the top of my head, probably some other fields as well, but those were the kind of the primary ones that they would go after. Got it. And so what are the most common mistakes as teams are, are really kind of working together, sales and marketing teams alike, to make this really work for their business? What are the most common mistakes that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a couple, couple key ones. I'd say three. The first would be, as we talked about earlier, a lot of companies just go out and for the fear of missing out, they buy the technology. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy on the gym membership side. I've got the technology, therefore I've got a strategy. Well, no, you've got the gym membership. So we see kind of the ABM starting point as the number one issue. The number two issue is on the data side of things. It's pretty easy these days to select targeted accounts. Which, what's a lot more challenging is to figure out what the relationship is between those accounts and what the contact strategy is to support the accounts. Salesforce.com comes out and says somewhere between 2 to 3% of contacts go bad per month. Mm-hmm. So over a year's time, you're churning a third of your database. Buying more than just having a, a Zoom info technology or you know, some sort of contact data technology doesn't necessarily lead you to the promised land. You really have to think that through mm-hmm. and have a governance strategy behind it. And then the third piece, speaking of governance and strategy, is really the process requirements. A lot of times, again, because people go right to the, hey, I bought the technology, therefore I have ABM, what they miss is the definitions of accounts, the handoffs, the system definition and architecture. So they bypass, and this is just like marketing automation 101, lessons we learned seven to 10 years ago, 
they bypass the business process altogether. And because of that, the technology vendors, I feel, are taking almost taking a lot of it on the chin in that they're spotlighting a lot of process issues that a lot of these companies have. And the companies are then pointing the finger over at the technology vendors saying, hey, your technology is all screwed up. Well, in reality, it's kind of a, a little of everything where mm-hmm. the company is not really stepping up and doing those business processes. So those three areas are probably the key ones that we see on a, a day in, day out basis. So for this client that you um, have been referencing over the course of this conversation, let's talk a little bit about, you know, 50 days post-launch or, you know, in the months post-launch. Can you describe how things started falling into place? And quite frankly, can you describe the successes that came from, you know, having this type of strategy and sticking to this type of strategy? Yeah, I think like in this particular client that we're talking about where they had failed once before, you know, I think what they told us was for the first time, that they had a consistent strategy, and we saw it firsthand too, that the sales team actually bought into. Our project was primarily for the CMO, but you know, this CSO or chief revenue officer was equally as involved as the CMO. But for the first time, they had a game plan and a confidence in the game plan and involvement in the game plan to then go execute on. Early days in terms of actual attribution, but we also had another client, a SaaS-based company out in Silicon Valley, that they were targeting financial service accounts, and they had engagement at 76% of their 668 financial service accounts, and they were able to convert within a six-month time period, 19% of those to a stage one opportunity. So, you know, definitely had made great progress, and because of that progress, They ended up winning an industry award. They were one of four companies that received an award in ABM Hmm. as one of the top account-based marketers in 2017. So, you know, those are some of the things that we've, we've been able to see so far. Excellent. Well, this has been incredibly helpful for all those companies out there that, you know, are trying to get better with account-based marketing or trying to sort of, quite frankly, do it for the first time. I'm sure there's some really interesting uh, pieces of advice that you've shared with us over the last 20 minutes or so. So thank you so much, John. And and before we wrap things up today, I am going to throw in my final question, which I've been asking everyone on this podcast season, just because I'm so curious. You clearly are very passionate about marketing. Your background shows it, you know, when you're, when you're talking, I can, I can see it oozing from you or I can hear it oozing (laughs) from you. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Did you always want to be a marketer? Oh, wow. That's a great, great question. I've been a CMO for 10 years prior to starting this business, both in public and private companies. I think I just fell into it. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom is a teacher. My dad was uh, a system engineer, lifelong employee of IBM. So I think I got the cross of my mom's creative flair and my dad's analytic nature. And it just became the perfect match. So I don't know if it was something that I chose that somehow chose me. Mm-hmm. And I love sales and marketing and ev- anything and everything to do with it. But yeah, I'm trying to think, what the heck did I want to be when I grew up? You know, I don't know if I really had a, a final destination that, you know, I just do what I like. And I love doing this. I love working with people. I love working with technologies. And I love helping other companies. So, so yeah. Well, it sounds like it's the perfect match for you then. And congrats on an outstanding career. And, you know, it's, it's been a joy chatting with you today. And you've done some great work with our portfolio companies. And you've produced outstanding content and have hosted a number of outstanding events. So thank you so much. And um, we really appreciate it, John. I appreciate the opportunity, Devin. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely.
Thanks for tuning in to our last episode of our first season of Build. I'm so excited to introduce you to Kyle Poyer, who is the Senior Director of Market Strategy at OpenView. He is going to be your host for season two of Build. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Devin. It's going to be really hard to follow in your footsteps. You had some amazing guests. So let's talk about season two. What's it all about? So season two, we're mixing it up. This season at Build, we're actually going to be dedicating every episode to a different SaaS benchmark. So think growth rates, unit economics, the rule of 40, burn, diversity, and so on. And it builds off of our SaaS benchmarking study. But for listeners, don't worry. It's not going to be all about numbers. I'm going to be talking to VCs to find out what they're actually looking for in a new investment, as well as operators to get the inside track on how to actually hit those lofty benchmarks that get talked about in the boardroom. And we'll have on general partners from OpenView, Point9 Capital, and elsewhere, and then guests from top SaaS companies like Price Intelligently, Lucidchart, Lessonly, and BTS. And that's actually going to launch next week. So keep an eye out. And if you subscribe, it'll already be in your podcast queue, so you don't need to do anything. Hmm, easy, super easy. Well, I have no doubt it's going to be a highly successful season. We have a joke around here that anything Kyle Poyer touches turns to gold. So I'm sure it's going to be super fun to listen to all your episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in to season one. We can't wait for season two. As always, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening to podcasts these days. And we would greatly appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on our lab's website, so check that out. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to just about 100,000 SaaS operators every single Saturday morning. And sign up by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Thanks so much, and until next time. Thank you.